So it's the second Sunday of Lent, and we're in our second week of a series of conversations we've called Jesus Answers Our Questions. And today, we're going to talk about, in particular, prayer. So what's the deal with prayer? How does it work? What is it? Why does it sometimes confuse us? Why does it sometimes seem ineffective? There are many different forms of prayer. I know people, you do as well, uh, people who cross themselves when they pray. There are people who face a certain direction when they pray. There are people who try to empty their minds completely when they pray. There are people who lean into the earth and the elements when they pray. What did Jesus say about prayer? Well, he said a variety of things, but the most important part, I believe, of his teaching is really captured in the model prayer, what we call the Lord's Prayer. And I'll bet you, whether you're very religious or not, I'll bet you you've heard the Lord's Prayer. And I, I'm sure most of you could say the Lord's Prayer. You may not immediately remember that Jesus actually brought that prayer out in two different contexts. First time he brought it out, he brought out a, a kind of fuller model, even though it's a very short prayer. Then later he brought out an even shorter, more truncated model to offer a different lesson, a slightly different lesson about prayer. And we're going to look at both of those contexts this morning. We're going to read from Matthew chapter 6, and then we're going to read from Luke chapter 11, and we're going to get Jesus' basic instructions about prayer. And I think this will be a blessing to you. So we're going to look at Luke 11 and Matthew chapter 6, both of the contexts where Jesus talks about the, the Lord's Prayer. He gives a kind of basic form, but this morning we're going to focus on the fact that it's really not the form of the prayer so much as what it says about our praying relationship that Jesus wants to make sure we get. So I'm going to ask you to do something for me for that first passage. Let's go old school and let's stand out of reverence for God's Word. And I'm going to read Matthew chapter 6, Jesus' first teaching on the Lord's Prayer, and then we'll look at Luke chapter 11. So here's Jesus in Matthew chapter 6. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogue and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who's in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. The word is sometimes translated pagans do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. They pile up empty phrases thinking they'll be heard for their many words. Do not be like them for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. I wish we had time to talk about that paragraph this morning, but we don't. We'll deal with the rest of this in a bigger picture. Luke 11, and this time you can be seated for Luke 11. So I began reading at the very beginning of Luke 11, and Jesus again gives the model prayer in a different context, and he attaches a slightly different lesson to it at the very end in a story, a parable, and it's a weird one. So listen to this. 
Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he'd finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. As John taught his disciples, and he said to them, okay, when you pray, say, and he repeats a lesson they've already heard. Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread, forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who's indebted to us, and, and lead us not into temptation. And then he offers this. And he said to them, okay, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I'm nothing to set before him. And he will answer, the friend will answer from within, don't bother me. The door is now shut. My children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything. And now Jesus gets weird. Look, he's not comparing God to a stingy friend who won't give, but he does have a profound lesson to teach us about prayer here. Stay with this. I'll tell you, though he won't get up and give him anything because he's his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. We're going to have to deal with that in a minute. Because of his impudence, it, it means bordering on rudeness, shameless audacity. And I tell you, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. To the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, and now he returns to his image of fatherliness. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish, give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts... To your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Okay, that, part of what Jesus has done here is give us, you know, a structure, kind of a model for how to pray, even what to say, but perhaps more importantly, maybe much more importantly than that, in these teachings, Jesus is doing two profound things. He's giving us the, the contours or the characteristics of a relationship with God and he's giving us the characteristics of God's response to us. He's giving us the characteristics of a relationship with God, and he's giving the characteristics of God's response to us, and all of this is to build the right framework for prayer. So that as we go to prayer, as we approach prayer, we approach it rightly. So first, characteristics of a right relationship with God, and there are three. And with each characteristic of a right relationship with God, I'm going to give you an acronym a four-letter acronym that borders on the brilliant, either the brilliant or ridiculous. I hope you did not interview the 9 o'clock crowd. They might have thought it was leaning more toward the ridiculous. First of all, the first characteristic of prayer is intimate. We notice two things about the teaching in Matthew right away, don't we? First, we notice that Jesus tells us not to be showy like the Gentiles. Instead, we're to go into a secret place. In other words, this is an intimate activity. Secondly, we notice that he tells us to address God as our Father. What an intimate address. I read an article a couple of years ago by a Muslim who said that you can't do this. According to Islam, you cannot call God Father because God is too great and that's too familiar, that's too intimate. Well, look, the Bible understands the greatness of God, but we're invited into this profoundly intimate relationship with a great God 
because of what Jesus did. So what you and I need to understand is that God wants us to practice Christian yaga. Not yoga, yaga. And the acronym is you and God alone. How brilliant is that? Okay, maybe not so, but you and God alone. Look, we're coming up to Easter in a few weeks. Because of what happened on Easter, we know Jesus is, is not the great teacher. Jesus is the great enabler. He enabled this intimate connection with God, with the Father. So prayer is not about saying the right things. It's not about being articulate or elegant. It's about intimate communication with the Father. Prayer is not about saying the right things. It's not about being articulate or eloquent. It's about intimate communication with the Father. The closer I am to someone, the less I worry about what I say. The less I worry about getting the words exactly right. If you all invite me to a party and invite all of your friends, guaranteed I'm going to go to that party, mostly unconsciously, sometimes consciously, depending on who we are, I'm going to think, how do I be clever here? And there are going to be times where I walk away and think, why did I tell that joke? That joke never works. I should have done this. Or I'm going to be stylizing my responses. I'm going to be thinking about what I say. But when I'm with Diane, I just say stuff. Diane is my wife. Hey, Diane, look at that chicken. It doesn't mean anything. It's just Diane and I talking to one another. Because I want her to know me. And I want to know her. I want to know what's going on in her heart and her mind. She wants to know what's going on in mine. And I know she loves me. And we've built this library of experiences. We've created intimacy. This is what we have when we go to the Father in prayer. Intimacy. The first characteristic of the framework that Jesus builds for us is intimacy. The second characteristic of our relationship with God that forms the framework for prayer is simplicity. You notice we said the word Gentiles in Matthew 6, 7. That's sometimes, especially in older translations, it's translated pagans. Now, I don't want you to think of how we use that word today. Jesus isn't trying to suggest that these people are irreligious. You know, uh, surveys have consistently demonstrated for the last 40 years that Americans believe in prayer at incredible rates, at, at, at rates consistently better than 90%. We pray and we believe it works somehow. The ancients were no different. They were people who prayed. They prayed to various gods and in various ways. So Jesus is not drawing a distinction between people who pray and people who do not pray. Jesus is drawing a distinction between Christian prayer and non-Christian prayer. Christian prayer will be intimate communication with my Father, and it will be simple. So some of you know this acronym, keep it simple, stupid. And I want you to remember that in prayer, especially when you're praying with other people. You and I have the tendency to want to massage our words, and we need to remind ourselves, keep it simple, stupid. This is simple communication with your Father who loves you and knows you well. Notice Jesus acknowledges that the Gentiles use many words. Why do they do this? He gets right to the heart of the matter so they'll be heard. We understand the psychology of this. Some of us are the kinds of people who do this in arguments. We fill the air with words because this has to increase our chances to be heard, right? Whether this comes from our insecurity or our pride, 
This tells us why simplicity is so important. This is not the kind of relationship that God wants with us. We don't have to convince, and we cannot earn our way into right prayer. I'll say more about that in a minute, but for now, let's just make note that this prayer has five basic requests, and that's it. There are five parts to this prayer. Part number one, I'll go through this quickly. Part number one. Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And that word hallowed is one of the most important biblical words in Greek. It's, it's the word hagios. It means holy, or it's sometimes translated saint, or set apart, or completely unique. And Jesus in this prayer turns it into a verb. He says, holify your name. Make your name holy. So through my actions, through what I do, through when we get together on Tuesday morning when I'm at work, through my character, through the things I say, holify, make your name holy. Then he says, your kingdom come, your will be done. Your kingdom is, is my connection with you, your sovereign direction of my life and of the whole universe. Would your kingdom come here at Gateway? Would your kingdom come in my family and through my kids, even as it is in heaven, which is perfect? And then he gives the third request is, Jesus does something perfect psychologically. He says, you don't have tomorrow and you don't have yesterday. All you've got is right now. And God is a provider. So Jesus says, so go to the Father and say, give me today what I need. Give me today my daily bread. And then the fourth request is, and forgive me. And sometimes when I'm using this as a model for my own prayers, I will go through the specific ways in which I need God to forgive me. Because I, God, have have forgiven others, and I make sure that my slate is clean and that I've forgiven other people. And then finally, lead me away from those things that would distract me spiritually. Lead me away from those things that would cause me to dive into my desires and not connect me to you and protect me from the enemy of my soul because you and I have an enemy. It's the final thing he does, and that's it. That's the basics of the prayer. If you're intimidated by prayer, then you have the wrong idea about what it is. It is intimate, and it is simple. And the third characteristic of prayer that Jesus gives us here is persevering. Push. Have you heard this before? I want you to remember this one. This is almost the, if you miss everything else, don't miss this moment. The acronym here is pray until something happens. Luke 11 is a later version of this same teaching, as I said, and... Obviously, Jesus is a man of prayer. We see just little hints of that throughout Jesus' biographies. Finally, the disciples come to him and they say, look, we know how to pray. We're good Jewish boys, but not like you pray. Teach us to pray. And Jesus gives them the most basic lesson again about prayer, and then he gives them this extremely important teaching on perseverance. Now, the word is translated here in the English Standard Version, impudence. And that word suggests a kind of rudeness. You need to know that's a good translation. <laughs> Many of you speak a language other than English, especially those of you who are born outside of the United States. And you know that when you're translating from one language to another, it's often not an absolute perfect match. So you, you have a word that means, you know, this series of things. And what you do is you try to find an English word that means 
kind of this series of things. So it's, there's a huge overlap, but there's, there's little grades on the outside that, that aren't fully communicated. Older translations of this would say persevering, which is a decent translation, except it leaves off the idea of this shameless audacity, the almost rudeness that the, that the Greek word suggests. I'm going to go, and I'm going to go, and I'm going to go. I'm going to be shameless about going until I hear an answer. We need to remember something really important about this push thing. You better not wake a king up at three in the morning to ask him for water. Unless you're his daughter. Or you'll lose your head. But if you're his daughter, you can say, I need water, Dad. And you can say it and say it and say it again until you get water. Some of us don't have what we've asked for because we've given up asking. Intimate, simple, persevering. Those are the characteristics of our relationship with God and of our conversation with Him, and that forms part of the framework for how we go to prayer. So how does He respond? And this gives us the other side of the framework. So I want to give you three characteristics of God's response to us. First of all, His response to us is fatherly. This may be the most important aspect of the whole teaching. Jesus encourages us to pray, our Father. Because this is, this is the nature of our relationship with God. And because this is how God responds to us as a loving Father. In other words, Jesus, through this teaching, sets the basis for prayer. He gives us the foundation for prayer. He gives us what prayer is essentially built on. Remember, Jesus sets up two different kinds of prayer here. Christianly prayer and unchristianly prayer. Again, Here's what we have to remember about this. Because Jesus is resurrected, he's more than a good teacher. He's a savior, a redeemer, and an enabler. So he is ushering us into a different kind of prayer that happens based on a different kind of relationship. All right, let's think about it this way. I'm oversimplifying it, I know. Somebody's going to come afterwards and tell me I'm oversimplifying it. Yes, I'm oversimplifying it. But let's try to divide all of human relationships, all of our relationships, into kind of two relationships. I know it's more complicated than that. I'm, I'm cutting out friends, for instance, but, which is a big one. But let's, let's organize them into two kinds of relationships. There's, there are commercial relationships and there are family relationships. So commercial relationships, here's what happens. Here's what I have for you. What do you have for me? I perform for you. You, in return, perform for me. I perform remodeling your bathroom, you perform by writing me a check. There is a mechanical exchange of goods and services. In a family relationship, it's different. A family relationship is a permanent, committed relationship. Just think of the family members that you have, weird Uncle Harold. Family relationships aren't conditional. Family relationships are not based on what you have or what you do. Family relationships are based on who you are. So think about what this says about how we approach God. If my relationship with God is a commercial relationship, then I've got to perform. This is why I bring many words. This is why I pile up empty phrases. I think my prayer depends on my effectiveness. Little illustration, so I'll cut out some of the fluff. Years ago, early in my ministry, I was influenced by a great teacher, pastor. I started a church out in California, and just the church did great things. He developed a healing ministry. 
among other things. So he would travel around the United States and do healing services. Some of you are thinking, what? Yes. He would go places and actually teach about healing, and then there would be healings that happen. And I was utterly fascinated by this and taken by this. So I ordered from his ministry, I ordered a couple of cassettes of some of his teaching. Cassettes, you guys, are little plastic things <laughs> that we used to put into things in our cars, and they would actually make sounds. It was amazing technology. So I got cassettes from this guy, and I listened to him, and he just, he blessed me. So I thought, you know, I'd like to hear him someday. And I had a pastor friend, this was when Diane and I lived in the Boston area, I had a pastor friend who was connected to the network of churches that, that he had started. And so this group brought him to Boston. So he came to a suburban area in Boston to a local high school to do a healing conference. And I signed up to go, and my buddy went with me. So we go to this healing conference, you know, I'm amazed and I'm excited, but I'm also very, very skeptical because being the holy, incredibly godly guy that I am, I hear amazing stuff that God does and I'll, my response is often, are you sure? Anyway, so we go to this, it's a one day seminar on healing. So we spend the entire morning, he actually gives a workbook, we spend, it's very academic, we spend the entire morning going through, filling out stuff on healing. He's going through the various healings in the New Testament. And seven times in Luke, he does it four times. And then often when he heals, you know, we're taking notes on all this stuff. And I thought it was great. It's all head stuff. It really appealed to me. I'm taking notes. It's great. You know, after lunchtime, and he says, okay, now we're going to have lab work. Wait, what? Yes, we're going to do a time of healing. So God is going to use you. It's about the Holy Spirit. It's not about me. So the Father is here, and Son and Spirit, but we're going to take a break. When we come back, I'm going to pray to God, and I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to come, even though he's here, and he'll come, and he's going to speak. What in the world is this guy talking about? And he's, but then he says, it's awesome, he says, we're not going to appeal to the emotions. This is about God moving. This isn't about our emotions. So I want you to go outside, get a Coke, come back in. We're going to pray for the Holy Spirit to come. Okay. So I go, literally get a coat, come back into the auditorium, sit down. He stands up, no music, no drama. He comes to the microphone. And he says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray for the Holy Spirit. I'm shortening this, but pray for the Holy Spirit to come. And when I do, I would like for some of you to try to exercise your faith. So if you have a strong sense that someone here needs and wants, wants and needs to be healed for something and God is here to do it, I want you to stand up and tell us. Wait, there are 2,000 people in here. What? Yes, and I, I want someone here to stand and tell us. So let's pray. We're sitting down. Father, da, 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 da. Holy Spirit, come. I felt God's presence. <laughs> it was weird. So this is cool. So we're silent. And then I've been to these kind of things before. This is not my first rodeo. So then someone in the back of the room, I'm about three-fourths of the way back, someone in the very back, might have been in the back row, a guy, stands up. The Lord Almighty says! And I have to let you know, this is all micro stuff inside of me, just microseconds, but I thought, God, good Lord. I've heard this before. This is so bogus. <laughs> but I, that's, that's what I thought instantly. I mean, this is stupid. And then I thought, no, don't do that. Don't be cynical. You know, try to let, I mean, if God is in this, 
You know, let God speak. And then this pastor did the bravest thing I have ever heard a minister, anyone do speaking publicly. The minister up front, he stepped back to the microphone and he said, brother, can we just have you sit down for a second and let's just wait for a few minutes on God. I felt God's presence so powerfully, you could cut it. It was unbelievable. We waited in silence a minute and a half, which is forever in that kind of environment. And I was thinking, this guy has a lot of guts because if nobody says anything, this is going to look like a giant failure. <laughs> Some woman over to my left stands up, very nervous. You can tell that she's never done anything like this before. She's stammering and stuttering and she says, I believe that there's someone here who has a problem with their pregnancy and God wants to heal them. And two rows directly in front of her, a young woman burst into tears. He stepped back to the microphone and said, I don't know why this is the case, but often in these settings, when God speaks a word, he's physically near someone that he wants to heal. So this is not about me, this is about the Holy Spirit. So I want those of you who are around that young woman to lay your hands on her and pray for her because God's going to heal her today. Is there another? <laughs> so this kept happening. Now, I got to tell you, some of them were, sorry for my judgmentalism, but some of them were bogus. I mean, you know, some guy stands up and says, somebody here has a back problem. There are 2,000 people here. Half of us have a back problem. But, you know, there were some incredible things that happened, and, and people were breaking up into little prayer circles. So the, the buddy that I went with comes and grabs me. He takes me away. We start, we start walking around the room. He said, let's just watch what God is doing. And I was transfixed. I mean, I was utterly amazed. And what happened to me that day is I got converted. First of all, I wanted to be a Christian again. And secondly, I got converted to a method. I got converted to some results. I got converted to God stuff. I walked away thinking, I need to get it right. It's not pursuing God so much as pursuing this commercial exchange. I need to figure out what it is that I've got to do to get that to happen. I wanted to be more effective in prayer. Translation, I wanted to get more God stuff, more direction, more healing, more awesomeness. I forgot the basic truth that as I get more of God, I get more God stuff. What I need to do is go more wholeheartedly after my father not after the Father's stuff. Here's the other thing to remember. When I'm in a commercial relationship, I don't get what I want if I don't get what I want or when I don't get what I want. I either feel guilty or I'm mad. If I've remodeled your bathroom and you and I have a conversation afterwards and I didn't do it right and you short-circuit me on the check, I feel guilty. I, well, I, got, I got to get it right. I, got, I, I feel bad. If I've done it exactly right and you short me, I'm angry. This is how some of us feel when our prayers aren't answered. And this is a pagan response. That's an unchristianly response. God's response to me is fatherly, always fatherly. Secondly, God's response to me is good. Why are we supposed to approach with impudence? <laughs> Why use that kind of language? 
doesn't that set up entirely the wrong kind of spirit, Jesus? You know, Jesus doesn't answer that question directly, but he does answer it indirectly. In that parable he told, after the parable about the uncooperative friend, Jesus changes images and he starts speaking again about fathers. Remember, he says, our fathers give us what? Good gifts. And for our heavenly father, Jesus says, that's even more the case. God wants to give us good things. He wants to give us what we really need, not what we think we need, which is sometimes not what we need at all. This explains why there is sometimes a delay in God's answer and sometimes why the answer doesn't seem to be anything like what we were thinking. I want to offer two kinds of particulars here. One, there are those times when we're asking for the wrong thing. It would not be good of God to give us the thing that we're asking for because it's wrong. Like your kid when you're taking them through the grocery store, oh, I want that, I want that. What they really want is a nap and they don't know it. So we would not be good parents to give them a giant lollipop. Secondly, there are those times when what we really need is more of him. And God sometimes uses delay and even our desperation as a leverage to drive us to him. I don't have time to talk about this, but some of you have heard my own story about my struggles with anxiety through my 20s. And I went to healing services, and, and I got prayed over, and I went to a counselor, and I, I was on medication for a while, struggling with anxiety, and I, I kept thinking, Diane and I started dating during this period, I kept telling Diane constantly, this is not what I'm really like. And through it all, eventually, one of the things that helped me overcome this, and God healed me, another day I'll tell you. Through it all, one of the things that helped me overcome this is I ultimately realized, in my early 30s, I realized anxiety is my friend because it drove me to God. And as soon as I realized that, it lost all its power. I'm not saying it immediately went away, but it lost all its power. Sometimes God uses our difficulties, our unanswered moments, as leverage to drive us to himself. God's response to us is fatherly, and God's response to us is good. It's good gifts that he desires to give. Remember, these things build the framework for right prayer and the right motivation to pray. Finally, God's response to us is definite. Fatherly, good, and definite. And by definite, I mean he will answer. He will answer. Do you remember Jesus' three images for prayer? Ask, and what? It'll be given. Seek, and what? You'll find. Knock, and what? The door will be open. It's definite. John's biography of Jesus is the fourth biography in our Bibles. In John's biography, Jesus reiterates this promise repeatedly. And John remembers it and writes it down repeatedly. Jesus wants to make this point, that the Father's response to us is definite. Listen to this. John 14, 13, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Next, John 15, 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you. I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. And finally, John 16, 24, until now, you haven't asked anything in my name. You've asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. God's response to us is definite. A few years after college, I went to seminary because I had felt God's call on my life to do this, to, 
to be a pastor. So I went to seminary in a, at a school outside of Boston, Massachusetts, up on the North Shore. Those of you who know the Boston area, it's Beverly and Beverly Farms and Salem in that area. And seminary was just north of that. And I went there with a really good friend of mine, and he and I were going to live together. He went up a day before I did, and he found us a couple of apartments that we could go look at. So one of the apartments was okay and kind of a not great location. One of them had a great location, super cheap. You know, this is an obvious answer. The only downside, we would later learn, is the apartment was over a printing press. Now, this was in, you know, the 1980s, so I'm talking about lots of ink and ink smells. There were two weeks a year that the printing press was closed down. It wasn't operating. One was the week of Christmas, and the other one was the week that we were looking at the apartment. So, yes. So we go to this apartment in one part of Beverly, and it, you know, this is kind of smallish and not a great neighborhood. It's around back of this house, and it's very expensive. We go to this other apartment, ta-da, Taj Mahal. It's awesome. And it looks great, and wow, we'll take it. So we sign up, and the next week, we begin to hear it downstairs, and within a couple of days, we're drunk constantly. It's just constant ink smell. And so there's a little patio, which when we first looked at the apartment, we thought this uh, patio. No, it's a little like little, it's enough to put an hibachi on. And it's the second floor, but there wasn't an hibachi there for us. We thought, awesome, you know, ba every bachelor pad needs an hibachi. The door wouldn't close completely. It's cold in Massachusetts, and the door is open. And then the toilet, constant problems with the toilet. We couldn't get our landlord to do anything. I remember seeing him one day. I come down the steps, and he's there. We never got to see him. You know, we write him notes or call and leave messages. I see him one day. Hey, you know, the toilet. Yeah, yeah, he's so unresponsive, yeah. I'll get to it. Okay, I want you to know, we'd like to have girls over here, and we, everybody who comes gets drunk. So can we do something about the smell? You live above a printing press. Get used to it. Walks off. And I realized, if this had been my mother, she would have done anything to get rid of that smell. My mother would have rebuilt the building to make sure that I didn't have to smell that printing press. She would have had a plumber by his ears up there working in my bathroom, fixing that toilet. My mother would have made sure that place was exactly what I needed because she's my mother and because of the nature of the relationship. And some of us go to prayer like renters. We go to prayer like it's a commercial relationship. But we get to go to prayer as a son and a daughter with someone who would do anything for us. We can't forget this. This is the framework for prayer. Let's pray. Father, for some of us, you have stirred our hearts this morning, and I ask that you would seal that. We are so sorry for those times when we have approached you commercially. We've negotiated or we have used lots of words. This morning, Lord, Jesus, you have reminded us that it's intimate and it's simple and we are persevering. And we set our face toward that this morning. And we've also been reminded that you are fatherly and that you are good and that your answer is definite. 
So we receive that today, and we give you permission today on Wednesday when we forget, we give you permission to remind us. Lord, lead us into deeper intimacy, deeper sweetness, deeper simplicity, and strengthen our feeble hands when we want to give up. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And I hope you have a great Sunday. Go in peace.